Hello and welcome to episode 42 of the Derailed Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Fred. And we still have no intro music. No, we still don't. Have you I was learned? thinking about this the other day, when because I, I was listening to one of my episodes where it came on in my podcast app or whatever, and I was like, yeah, I remember back in the day we were like, oh, we should really get some intro music. Yes. Can you play the piano yet or something? No. I'll play a sweet bass line, <laughs> like a Seinfeld bass. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, that could be cool. <laughs> it would be pretty cool, but I sold my bass about 10 years ago. <laughs> No. I only played bass guitar because it was the only instrument missing for me and my friends to make a band. So they were like, play bass, bro. It's like actually a really cool instrument. It's totally not like irrelevant and everyone ignores it. Oh, no way. That's cool, man. <laughs> but it was actually pretty fun. I did actually enjoy it. And I think it was probably better for me because I have like zero musical talent. And I think it was probably easier than a regular guitar. Yes. Don't at me, bassist. I'm sorry. <laughs> At least the way I played it was. But it was fun. We played like covers and we had like a band or whatever. Oh, that's awesome. It was pretty cool. I actually enjoyed it. Yeah. I got good fun out of it, even though, yeah, I don't think, I don't think I'm a musician. Mm. I don't have any of that ability to like come up with stuff. So like I could learn other people's stuff. But you know, you like to like write a bass line or like, I don't know, it's supposed to like kind of match with like the drum beat or whatever. Like I just don't have a clue how to like create music yeah i think it takes a long time i think first you learn how to just play existing music before you create music i think that takes yeah that's that's all i that's as far as i ever got yeah. so okay yeah. well, that's cool yeah what about you? Are you what are you contributing to the derailed band oh no i'm i'm pretty useless with music i tried playing guitar at some point but yeah i wasn't very good i was pretty decent at guitar hero 3 though so okay which is <laughs> Some say it's more important. Yes. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Chicks dig Guitar Hero 3. <laughs> but could you play Through the Fire and Flames on Expert? Not on Expert, no. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, okay. Never yeah, mind. I, was, I retract my comment about the Chicks. I thing. was not that good, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I used to play, did you ever play Frets on Fire? I've heard of it, but I don't think I played it, no. Frets on Fire was like Guitar Hero but for a PC and you played with your keyboard. So you'd pick up your keyboard and then like the uh, F keys were like the pretzel and you'd like jam on the enter key or whatever. Okay. And me and my friends when we were at university, we got really good at this game. <laughs> and I had all the high scores on this game for all these different songs. But what was quite interesting about it was we had that, you know that DC++ file sharing network? No. <laughs> Oh, it's like, so at university, we all used this thing called DC++. It was just like this file sharing server okay. that basically connected everyone's computers together, some kind of P2P thing. Um, and that's where all the like movies and series and games and everything got shared. It was like piracy central. Okay. So it was all across the roads network. You could basically share your folders and then people could copy from your computer. So you could find like any movie, any series, anything, and just like download it instantly because it was actually just transferring over networks. So it was pretty awesome at the time. But um, when this game became popular, my name on this game was Subversion, right? That was like my stupid nickname that I used. And this game became really popular. And like sometimes one of my friends, some of my friends used to call me Subby and Sub and all this stupid crap, right? And it happened in public a couple of times. And someone was like, 
dude, are you the subversion from Fretz on Fire? <laughs> it's like, I can't beat your score, bro. I was like famous in the like lamest way possible. Oh, that's awesome. Because <laughs> everyone who copied this game, it came with the high scores in the files or whatever. And because it was a file sharing network, everyone got the same copy of it or whatever. Okay. Oh, it was hilarious, man. <laughs> like nice. I remember... Uh, like I'd overhear people talking about it, like I can't beat Subversion score in Sweet Child of Mine or whatever. Oh, <laughs> it's pretty great. That is very it's the only cool. time I've ever really felt accomplished at anything. Yeah. So. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah. A little bit too exciting. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I think I achieved more in that game than I did at university. <laughs> oh yeah, but that was good. Yeah, man. So anyway, this is a train game podcast. I think I just recalled. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't we sometimes talk about 18x? Let's talk trains. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so emails. We're going to do some emails. Or do we have any Patreons? We do. We have... had a couple. I saw a couple of new slide into the yes. channel. We've, we have Peter Hasselhurst and Claudio Cavalcanti, who was a patron, but he increased his patronage. Oh, yeah. So thanks Claudio. very much, guys. You fancy Claudio. <laughs> yeah, nice. Claudio is from Brazil, here. Huh? I think I that's think he, right. made, he emailed us before. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I think he has. Yeah, he has emailed us. Yeah. So speaking of Peter, Peter, remember? I don't know if you guys remember, but last week we spoke about an email of his where he said that. Well, not last week. Two weeks ago. I don't know how recording these days. Oh, we're trying to get it back on track, though, guys. We're trying to increase the frequency of recording around here. Mm. Lockdown be damned. Um, but yeah, Peter um, sent in that email about um, how to sort of make that train, the train buying work when you float a company, dump all its shares and float a new company. Mm -hmm. So he outlined his game, actually. He replied to us and outlined his game in 18 Chesapeake where he tried to push the trains and kind of where it all went wrong. Um, so I think it was, I could see what kind of went wrong here was that he actually won um, the B&O private and floated B&O at $95. Okay. And then he bought four trains with it and then dumped it. But I think that potentially that must have left a lot of money still in the treasury with a 95 float. Did he buy, just buy four or two trains or? A three two trains and a three train, okay. yeah. And then he dumped it, yeah. So I think he invested a lot more there than you would if you were just floating a company at 60 whatever and mm. then dumping it again. So he did manage to float another company at 95, but then the mistake he made with that one was that he bought two four trains. So he had a three train and two four trains. Uh, so he didn't leave any money back um, for permanence later on. Yeah. Um, to his credit, I think he was trying to aggressively push trains because then... He then floated a third company at $95. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've, I've not had good experiences with two companies and no permanent trains. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I think as he observes in his email, it's just sort of a timing issue there. Right. He didn't yeah. quite get the timing right. So, yeah, yeah um, a little bit different from the stock standard rinse and repeat stuff that we spoke about in the sense that you started with the B&O at 95, which changes the maths a little bit on that. Yeah, yeah. I have a similar game actually um, in Chesapeake where I have a company with a huge treasury. And so now I'm actually just hanging on to it because it's got $500 in it and I can use that to buy a permanent train. Okay, nice. So I'm sitting back with it for a little bit and hopefully going to snag a permanent with that. And then, yeah, I've, 
think I've floated another one. Have I? I might not have floated another one yet. I'm kind of investing around, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's also interesting. Like I've I've started buying more shares in people if if they still have a lot of money in the company because they're very unlikely to want to dump it if there's still cash in there that they haven't made use of. Well, this is the thing for me. So it's actually an interesting stock round we're in right now because I have this company for 500. I own six shares of it. Um, I think Joe is in the game with us, I think, and he owns one share, I think. And yeah, I, <laughs> I think the, the difficult thing about it now is that I, I have something like $250, so I could float another company, but I'd have to sell two of my shares down to 40% of the company, oh. <laughs> um, which leaves it open for someone to steal it from. Me. Yes, yeah. So I actually ended up passing in my first um, action in the stock round because I kind of want to see what everyone else does first. If people commit a lot of money elsewhere, then I might think about selling those two shares if I feel like I can get away with it later on in the stock round. So mm. yeah, we will see. Or you might just invest in something that someone else floats. Yeah, exactly. I didn't want to buy... Someone's floating a new company that I could invest in now, but I don't want to help them float it. Okay. Because yeah. I'm just giving them free money then. So I might wait for them to float it, then buy a share or two in that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I'm being a cautious investor. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for that email, Peter. I think thanks for taking the time to write it out. It's quite interesting to see. Yeah. He outlined exactly what happened in each OR and SR. But obviously, I won't read that all out. I'll just give you guys the highlights there. Okay. Cool. Yeah. But it ended up with. <laughs> him being a little bit penniless and a little bit trainless in a couple of companies yeah. he had to he had to fund a diesel in a not so nice way so he floated a third and then uh, basically had one permanent probably between the three or could he afford two permanents with the third so he got rid of the one but i think okay. he floated the third and then the third was enough to kind of buy one permanent but then the other company's trains got rusted and only had had something like 170 dollars left mm. So he had to fund a diesel and oh, yeah, he was wow. pretty short. Hmm. Okay. Pretty rough. <laughs> yeah. So we learn. So we learn, exactly. But that's fun of it. But I must say I admire him, yeah, pushing trains so aggressively and, and trying to make that work because it certainly is a great strategy to do. And yeah, being the one aggressively pushing trains often does put you in the lead. So you definitely have the right idea. It's just yeah, there's always that timing element where you've got to look to the future and see how things are going to pan out in terms of capital that you have control over. The thing is also, if you can bankrupt everyone else before yourself, then you also are fine as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If they have to buy diesels before it is your company's turn, you might be good. Yeah. And if you push the trains super duper fast, sometimes, yeah, you can end up in trouble down the line, but you cause so much trouble at the beginning that you actually end up yeah, better off anyway, even if you do have to fund a diesel out of pocket. So it's not necessarily always bad. Yeah. Um, and frequently, you will be buying big, big permanent trains with a lot of your own personal cash. Um, it's not always a bad thing. It's certainly something you can plan for as well. Yeah. You just never want to buy non-permanent trains with your own money for the most part. Oh, yeah. That's, that feels bad. <laughs> yeah, definitely does. Sweet. And then we just got one email from Jonathan. He just said he just wanted to encourage us and the great job we're doing with the podcast. He's new to the hobby in the last few months and he's really enjoying listening to our experiences and thoughts on the games. Helpful for a newcomer like me. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks, Jonathan. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. Yeah, I know he said he'd like to South Africa a bit as well because the country is very familiar with 
and learning more has been a lot of fun. I don't know where Jonathan's from, but yeah, his surname is Rhodes. Maybe it's Rhodes. I'm not sure. Okay. Looks like it could be Rhodes, but um, that could be anywhere, Jonathan. You've got to give us something juicy to work with <laughs> for our, um, <laughs> our surname country of origin prediction game yes. that we are so incredible at. Well, guessing game. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about Can you work with Jonathan with an H, Fred? Can that, does, that, does that do anything for you? <laughs> Not much. <laughs> Not much. No. Yeah. Jonathan with an H. I'm going to go for the... I want to say UK, but I feel like UK people know a bit about South Africa because we're such sporting rivals and like everything. Oh, mm. tricky. Okay. I'm going to take a safe bet and just go for the United States with a bit of British origin. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Spreading yeah, your bets no, we, there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just a little bit of a hedge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the passport says United States. That's what I'm going with. Oh, uh, okay. Yes. Okay. Cool. Sweet. So today we wanted to do an episode on 1889, um, specifically on the private auction. We did one on the 1830 private auction, which people seem to like. So yeah, I've been trying to do a bit of research on the 1889 auction. It's a game I've played quite a lot myself. So I'm more familiar with it probably than 1830 as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we thought we could do a little bit of a deep dive on the private auction in that game. I think it's also a good one because Grand Trunk Games does have their 1889 coming out. Oh, nice, yeah. Which will be really, really good. Um, yeah, still, I think, a top, top choice for a first 18xx game that kind of never gets old. Yes. Yeah, yeah I think it's great as an intro game. It's great as your first game. And I think it's also one that you will always be happy to play. And we've played it at two as well, then. We have, and we've enjoyed it at two as mm. well. So, yeah, yeah. Um, we've had some really fun games with it at two. does play all the way up to six. I don't think I've ever played it with six. I've played it with five, and it worked well with five. It was good with five, but six, yeah, I'm not too sure. I think there's only seven companies, so six might be <laughs> quite interesting. Yeah. 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 Uh, it says it plays six on the box, but, yeah, how fun that is, I'm not so sure. It but sounds um, awesome to me. <laughs> Yeah, we should actually try. Um, we should try an online play of it. Maybe. Yes, that's a good idea. And see how it goes. Mm. Yeah. So, um, as always, a disclaimer: um, neither of us are eighteen XX or eighteen eighty nine experts. So, yeah, this is info that's sort of partly my own perception of the game, and a lot of it is also yeah, you know, kind of stuff that I've gleaned online and reading discussions and things like that, and trying to sort of find what the general feelings are okay. on these things. Yeah, I think in general, though, one thing to note about 1889, no clearly broken privates like there are, is in 1830 with the CNA, where you really have to bump up its price. Um, I think if the CNA goes too cheap in 1830, that can really warp the game. Mm. I don't think that's the case in 1889. I don't think there's a private that, like, if it goes cheap, you should restart the game or it's over or it's put that person way, way, way in the lead or anything like that. I think they're pretty fairly balanced and there aren't any that are nearly as undervalued as the, the one in 1830 is, specifically okay. the CNO. Hmm. Yeah, so let's jump in. So at in normal player counts, we'll cover most scenarios, which is sort of the two to four player count. That's sort of the most common count you'll probably play this game at. 
Um, what's interesting there is that at those player counts, the money you get is the same, whether it's two, three, or four players. Mm-hmm. You start with, I believe it's 420. Um, so if you want to float a company in the first stock round, you need 50%, and it's 65, I believe, is the lowest price. So, yeah, if I've done the math correctly, you have 95 to spend. So I know that you have 95 spend that number i'm confident on and i think the 420 i'm confident on as well so yeah i think that checks out so yeah you should have 95 that you can spend in the private auction that will then also allow you to float in the first stock round right so that's always kind of the magic number this is something doing in all 18xx games you play um whenever you're heading into the private auction if it is sort of a traditional style Try and figure out how much money you have to spend and still be able to float one company. I don't think that, yeah, your game is like destroyed or anything if you can't float in the first stock round. But I think if you're like five or ten bucks short, you've kind of put yourself in a little bit of an awkward spot. Mm. If you come out of the private auction, for example, with three private and you obviously won't have enough then to spend, I think that's fine. You obviously have a different idea or a different approach and you're going to be investing in other companies for a while etc etc so yeah Yeah. wouldn't worry too much about that okay okay so one thing i want to highlight is that 1889 as compared to 1830 has what i'd call more interesting privates in that they have some more yeah some more varied powers abilities that they kind of give you um they're not quite as straightforward as the 1831s but what I will say is that the usefulness of these powers in general is really going to depend on your group. Okay. And the reason I say that is that I believe in general, the powers are more useful the slower your group buys trades. So the longer the game goes, especially in the early to mid stages of the game, the more useful these powers are going to be. Not just because the private companies close when the first five train is bought, um, but also because a lot of them set things up that are just going to be more useful if the game goes at a little bit of a slower pace. So we'll get to that when we talk about the, the powers themselves, but just keep that in mind. A lot of these powers are going to be much more exploitable in a group where... They're not necessarily pushing trains quickly. Um, And this is certainly the case if you're playing with people who aren't very experienced. Generally, the more experienced players are, yeah, the more uh, quickly they'll burn through the trains. Okay. So if, so I'm just taking a stab here, but if if I have one private and someone else has two privates, that probably means that I, I want to be the one that pushes the trains then. I think you probably would to some extent, because if someone has, the biggest value a private's ever going to have is its ability to be sold into the company because mm. that gives you cash. Yeah. So I think generally you would want to be putting pressure on that player and not allow him to have control of too much cash and too easily just yeah bounce around floating companies to his heart's content. Okay. But yeah, you are correct. I think it depends which companies because some of the powers are obviously useful than others depending on the speed of the trains there's a couple that i have in mind that i think are much more useful i think particularly the ferry company is the most useful if the trains are pushed slowly um and i think that you certainly don't want that player 
to get maximum gains out of that by keeping things slow. So it's like something you say a lot, Fred, is when you feel like you're losing change something. And Mm. I think that kind of applies here as well. If you can see, wow, this person set up massive revenue early on with two trains, you are then very incentivized to be the person who gets rid of those two trains, pushes through to the four trains to rust the twos, right? Whereas if you're the person who's getting mad revenue off the two trains, you might be sit back and collect revenue as long as you can. Yeah, yeah. Because really, people shouldn't be allowing you to collect that much revenue off of two trains. But if they're going to, hey, go for it. Yeah, take it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay, so with all of that in mind, let's jump into the specific private companies. So I'm going to go through them in order. Um, in the game, they're labeled ABCEFG for, I guess, ease sake. Um, but that's how you'd lay them out in the auction as well. Okay, so the first one is the Takamatsu Electric Track. So this is the standard one where it's the one that sort of kicks off the waterfall. Uh, it's the one that will decrease in value if the privates all get passed on later in the auction. And it's the one that just blocks one hex and also at the same time, uh, gets you the lowest income of $5 or 5 yen in this game. Okay. So what's interesting about this is that the, the tile that it blocks is actually an upgrade. Um, so it blocks off um, that yellow Takamatsu tile, which is sort of up there in the northeast. And that's the one that has sort of like a claw coming up. So it's right up against the coast, and then it's got three branches coming out of it. Okay. Um, so it's one of those ones that has its own special tiles to upgrade with because it needs a, a special kind of shape. Right. Um, it's quite a valuable piece of track because it sort of connects the north of the board to the sort of south of the board along the east coast there. So what I think is quite valuable about this company is that, remember, that tile can only be upgraded when it gets purchased into a corporation or it's closed. So if you control this company, you get to control when that tile can be upgraded. And I think the important part of that is that it will allow you to immediately place a token there. You can secure a token spot guaranteed there for yourself. Right, okay. So I believe it's the pink company that starts off in Takamatsu, and then there's the red and blue company nearby. So I think this private is mostly useful in conjunction with either the red or the blue company, as you can guarantee a token placement there and potentially shut the other company out of that through area. So you get the nice three-way highway through there from the north to the south, and they don't. Okay, yeah. So the idea would be in the same turn that this private in because you can do that at any time you then immediately place the token so nobody then can stop you because remember this can't be upgraded until that's bought in so you are absolutely guaranteed a token in that spot Mm. if you do it properly right yeah yeah so that's what i have for takamatsu but i think something something important to keep in mind there um it is quite a, a crucial area it is quite a good place to have a token and i think that in general, the token game in 89 is quite interesting in that you've got to be careful with your tokens because they can do a lot. Uh, certainly, the roots can be blocked off quite a lot through aggressive tokening, but also the amount of tokens in the game is fairly limited as well. Right. Okay, now my favorite private. 
which is Private B, the Mitsubishi Ferry. So this private gives you a port tile that you can lay down normal tile layer, I believe, if I remember correctly. And this one has various sort of coastal towns that you can place it in. Um, but more importantly, it's worth 30. So whereas a normal town would be worth 10, this gives you a nice 30, which is great for an early revenue. Yes. And it's a free tile layer. Yeah. So I really like this because it's not the owning corporation player owner which means you don't have to wait until the green phase before you can buy this in and then place the tile. You can do it in your first turn. Mm. So this is one that I would really highlight as the slower the trains, the more likely this is to be profitable for you. So I think the strongest and most obvious start for this is in the Tosin Railway. That's a green company in the south. Um, you can set up on your first turn, you sort of build out to the east. You lay this port tile down. And then on your next turn, and then you buy three, two trains. Then in the next ORR, you can put a token down, and actually run for 150 with those three, two trains on your first run. Oh, wow. So that's pretty awesome, right? 150 is a very, very strong start. Yeah. And again, this requires three, two trains to pull it off. Mm. So the downsides of this are if obviously the three, two trains are rusted very quickly, that value is less. Um, but also, in addition to that, the token that you have to place down in order to make this work is pretty crappy. It's down there to the southeast. It's not a very useful spot. And later in the game, I spoke about token scarcity and potentially getting blocked off. It can potentially become a problem for you later on. And you wish you might still have that token. Right. That being said, this is why I say this is group dependent. If you can get away with two to three runs with this, I think it's pretty awesome mm. it's a really nice juicy run um fred has seen me do this before yes. <laughs> it's a great success um yeah and i've collected a lot of money which puts me in a strong position to then just float another company much quicker and try to sort of steamroll the game from there yeah um yeah the other disadvantage building to the west there's that brown company that side and green and brown play very nicely together if they build towards each other which they generally do and it's generally quite profitable for them to sort of coexist in that way. They can connect with each other quite quickly. And yeah, uh, I think that you generally would prefer to be building out to the west rather than to the east, which you would have to do with the strategy as well. Okay. Yeah, the ferry company works with quite a few different companies. There's a few that have a decent start with it. The brown company um, has quite a strong opening with it where you build... The nice thing about the brown company is that it's, it's one turn slower um, before you can really make use of the port. But it also is a more useful direction because you're building down towards that green company. Right. Um, so that's quite a strong opening as well. And one that doesn't really pose as many risks. Okay. Yes. So you can also use that quite nicely with, um, I believe it's the red company up there in the northeast. If you also control that A private that we just spoke about. Mm. So you can get a guaranteed token placement in Takamatsu. And then you can put the fairy tile down just below you. And you actually are setting up quite a nice little route for yourself there. So it plays quite nicely with the red company if you also control A. Okay. You can combo those things together. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, how do you feel about these two privates, Fred? Are you a fairy fan? I hardly ever get to play them because you also take, always take the fairies. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've had it very much, but I've seen you make good use of it. So yeah, yeah, no, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, next up is the Eham Railroad. That's C. So this is the one that upgrades the tile that's just above the Brown Company. Um, it's the C4 tile. So once you buy this into a corporation, that corporation can immediately, as a free action, upgrade that tile to a green tile. Okay. So what's quite important about this, and what I think is yeah, quite an impactful tile, is that there are a lot of options for that green tile. You can place a tile there that's just a single green city. There's a couple of those in this game where it's a green tile city upgrade, but it only actually has a spot for one token. Mm -hmm. So with this upgrade, you can dictate whether or not that yellow company at the top and the brown company can and how many tokens are, are going to be there. Right. So you can try and sort of shut out the brown company from connecting upwards. And yeah, so you can sort of block them off or lead them in a different route. Um, so the yellow company is the one that's right at the north of the map there. And they can choose to build out to the east um, towards probably Kotahira, which is up in the north sort of east there, um, which is the one that has the highest income for a tile. Right. Uh, that's the one with special upgrades and, yeah, a valuable tile. So, yeah, you can, you can actually shut the brown company out that way by upgrading that tile to something that sort of points in the wrong direction. And, yeah. Or you can create problems for them if they haven't token there and you can place a single token green tile there and put your token in there. That can create a lot of issues for them where you kind of get access to their routes, but they don't have access to yours. Right. So it can be quite a powerful tile. Okay. If you are sitting by the coast, oftentimes you actually can't upgrade that green to a brown. So you are stuck with that forever. Right, yeah, because it'll have track going into the ocean, right? Exactly, yeah. So you are very, very sad Yeah. <laughs> when that happens, yeah. Yeah, you've got definitely got to be careful with that. Yeah, so those that single tile can have quite a big impact on the game. Mm. Because I think all the brown city tiles in 1889 i could be wrong i think all of them only have one blank side or something like that hey which is which is what creates problems yeah i can't remember so well but i think you're right yes yeah so that's that creates a lot of issues which means that if you use that single green tile for this upgrade you can potentially then not allow it to be upgraded to brown because i think this one has two sides that need to be blank and i believe that that might not be possible with the brown tile right. options that you'll get okay yeah so that is c um so it seems like kind of an innocuous ability um so a lot of these do a lot of these seem like yeah that's cool i get to upgrade that for free but if you look at the tile manifest and you realize the implication of that yeah i think it's important to to keep in mind how impactful that can be Mm. This is something you need to watch out for, yeah, particularly who gets that, 
what company they float. So what's quite interesting about these is they do have some particular synergies. So if you have that C company, you probably would want to be floating either the yellow company or the brown company to get the most value out of that decision. Hmm. And yeah, so that kind of stuff is important to note. So it's not just some free throwaway thing. Or you can use it to just create chaos from a different part of the map, I suppose. Right, yeah. But yeah, keep in mind who has what and who in the first stock round has floated what company because that should allow you to figure out what kind of potential attacks these private piles have that you might need to defend against. Mm, yeah. Okay. Fred, your favorite company. Yeah. The Sumitomo Mine Railroad. Right. Flattens mountains, right? <laughs> the mountain flattening, tunnel blasting. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Would you say this is your favorite company or am I just I, forcing I, it on you? I do tend to take that one fairly often, yes. <laughs> do you feel like you've been disappointed? Do you feel like it's exceeded your expectations? I've had it work very well, but I've also had it kind of like not pay off. I think it depends a lot on which company you float. If you float something that can profit from just building a direct through through the mountains, then then it tends to work well. Yeah, so this one... One of the notes I wrote here is not as useful as it appears. Because I think this one is almost a little bit of a trap. Right. I think you see all those mountains and you think, oh, incredible. You know, I'll just, I won't pay for any of that. Especially the first couple of times you play. Mm. I think you can feel like, yo, this is such a useful ability. But I think oftentimes not quite as useful as it appears. Because oftentimes the roots in this game tend to go along the coast quite a lot. Yeah. That being said, we have seen it used well. Um, I think the company that can potentially use it quite well is the Tosedon Railroad, the green company at the bottom. Yes. Because um, I think they, instead of building towards the brown company, they do have an alternative option where they can sort of tunnel straight through the middle of the map. Oh, yeah, up north, right? Yes, up north. And I think... In a slower game, that's going to work the best, obviously, because they've got more time to make use of that. Mm. And I think they can try and get towards that Kota Hero that I'm talking about. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I think the Which first time high I, value. I had that when I managed to do that. and But then the, the, the next time we played, I tried it again, and you guys just connected to my route very quickly to also make use of the, <laughs> the free mountain track, basically. Yes, yeah, and I think that's where you maybe have some interesting choices regarding tokens and things like that. Yes, yeah. Or maybe you should just not stop being greedy and share your sweet... Well, I was forced to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think this that, that one's interesting to me. It's got a nice dividend. I think it's 15, um, and it only costs about 60 or so. So I guess that's always nice. Mm. But yeah, dividends also become... Kind of less important. It's more about buying it in as, as fast as possible. But again, dividends matter more the slower the game is. Yeah. This generally seems to be how it goes. Yeah. So, yeah, something to consider. But um, certainly it's not bad. But don't be fixated on the ability. Um, don't try and build your whole strategy around the ability. Rather, focus on being able to sell it into your company for double its price. Because that is honestly more valuable than the flattening mountain stuff. But when it is useful, it's useful. So mm. yeah, don't don't ignore it, but don't feel like you have to build your whole strategy around it. Would kind of be my advice with that. 
Right, yeah. Yeah, and don't pay too much for it because if you don't get the right company to go along with it, it's also less useful, I think. Yeah, exactly. Okay, next up we have the Dogo Rail. Uh, this is the one that can be exchanged for a share in the IO Railroad, which is the yellow company. Right. So this one, its face value is 60. Generally, it's going to go for a fair bit more than that, I would say, um, most of the time, I'd imagine. So whether or not you need to exchange this for a share is kind of up to you. I would generally say that you're going to extract more value out of it by selling it into a company. Um, it just gives you more cash and more options. It's it's harder to to get your value out of a share. But I think there are some cool things that you can kind of do with it. You can sell it for 120 which is, yeah, that's good. Yeah. And you can collect a dividend of 15. So you've got this option, collect the dividend and then later exchange for a share. And you definitely would have gotten your money's worth in that regard. Right. Um, I think what's interesting about it is, yeah, looking for opportunities. Because what's interesting about this share is that you can exchange it during the operating round. You can exchange it during the stock round. It doesn't have to be your turn. You can kind of just do it whenever you want. So I think there are definitely opportunities where you can use it strategically. If, for example, the IO Railroad is doing well, you can look at just collecting dividends for a while, and then later you can exchange when the shares sort of increased in value. Right. Yeah. You can also use it to float the yellow company with only 40%, which lets you par it quite a lot higher. Um, so this obviously might be worth quite a lot to you in a situation where you really need money from a treasury in order to maybe fund trains or to extract some kind of value out of that. So it's quite a flexible private, which is quite nice. Um, there's quite a lot of options available to you with it. Um, obviously, just selling it into your company for double its value is never a bad option, but there's also a few tricks that you can do with the free share. Mm. that are worth looking at as well. So, yeah, I think particularly look out for when you want to float that company and it will allow you to float with only 40% if you really need access to, maybe need access to a bigger treasury. Maybe it's really important for you that you go first in the operating order and you get par price one higher than everyone else. Right. That could be quite useful. So, Yeah. Hmm. There's quite a lot of cool little things you can do with that. So I would say just keep it in the back of your mind that you have this sort of ace card. Right, yeah. Okay, so that's the Dogo Railway. Confusingly, the South Io Railway is is not the one that gives you the share in the Io Railway. <laughs> yeah. um, so this is sort of the opposite of the, the mining company. Where the mining company is not as good as it looks, uh, this one is better than it looks. So this one has no ability, but it has the highest face value. Well, other than the the ferry company, which is its own its own thing entirely, I guess. But this one's face value is eighty. Okay. So this one slips in nicely in the magic number of being less than ninety five. If you can get away with getting it for ninety or ninety five, I think you would have done very well. Right. Um, it has a dividend of twenty, which is pretty great. Um, no ability, but remember, this one can be sold in for one sixty. So, if you were to get this for say ninety or ninety five, which would be undervalued, to be honest, um, you could then float a company in the first stock round and immediately extract one hundred and sixties worth of value out of it. 
um, if you wanted to. So I'm presuming once you got into the three trains, obviously. So as always, the face value with these is important because that is how much you can sell it for, yes. double its face value. So this one gives you the highest access to loot your own treasury of the kind of normal the normal privates in the game right yeah. uh, like i say the fairy is kind of its own thing mm. but we'll get to that now so don't think that because it has no ability it sucks don't let someone get it for 85 or whatever yeah you would have given them a nice a nice bit of value there if you do that so don't fall into the trap of thinking oh it's got no ability it kind of sucks uh, its ability is money extraction, and yes. that's really what all of their abilities are. So, yeah, don't undervalue it. I guess I would say, yeah. and a dividend of twenty is quite nice. Well. Yeah, so you can you can extract money from the company and still and then get that nice dividend paid into the company as well, which is also nice. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it helps to fund some tokens or a tile upgrade or something that maybe you wouldn't have been able to afford otherwise. So, yeah, certainly not negligible. Yeah, cool. Okay, and the last one, Takatsu Ferry. So this is the one that I think doesn't come out with two or three players. I think it's only four, five, and six players where you get this one. Oh, uh, right. Could be wrong, but I think you don't get it in a three-player game. Okay. Um, so this one is seen by a lot of people as undesirable. It's kind of fits into that mold of the kind of big expensive private at the end that you don't want. Um, but I don't think, I think it's got some play to it and I don't think it's want to work super hard to avoid. So this private is not cheap. Um, this one is 150 yen. Hmm. So, um, just to explain what this one does, this one does not close if it is owned by a player. If you sell this into a company, it will close with the five trains. Okay. But as long as it's owned by a player, it doesn't close. It pays a dividend of 30, very nice. And once the five train is bought, if it's still owned by a player at that time, its dividend is increased to, not dividend, sorry, rather, but revenue is increased to 50. Right. And will remain at that until the game ends. Yeah, so it never closes if it's in a player's hands. Never closes in a player's hands, but unlike the B&O and those kind of privates, this can be sold into a company for the sweet, sweet price of 300 Wow, yeah. So this has big looting potential. The catch here, obviously, remember that magic of 95. Even if you get this at its face value of 150 uh, you're a fairly long way off from floating your own company, which would allow you to then sell it into a company. Right. No one else is going to buy it from you. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Yeah. So when you get this company, you are basically resigning yourself to being an investor. Mm -hmm. One of the ways I have seen this company used successfully, and um, online stories seem to back this up as well, is that there are people who sometimes use this and actually never own, never run a company. They just become portfolio managers and are just constantly investing in other companies, trashing stock where necessary, um, and just constantly trying to improve their own position without actually running a company themselves. This one definitely lends itself to that kind of investor strategy um, because it does have a big revenue. 30 is a lot more than you're going to get early on. Remember that it's, it's much more than you would get for one share. 
in yes. another company, essentially, and oftentimes even two shares. You know, remember that big two train strategy I spoke about? That runs for 150. So if you had two shares in that company, you get 30. Um, but that's not a run that's going to last <laughs> for a very long time. So whereas you're getting that every single OR, it's it's very, very nice. Right. Yeah. So that is a not negligible amount of money. What you're giving up is stock appreciation, mm. the value that you get from that. Um, but remember, stock appreciation is not really a beginning. So everyone floats their first company. And it never runs in its first OR, so it always moves down once and then slowly starts tracking up from there. Yeah. So I did see one kind of um, appealing opening strategy described for the ferry that I thought I could lay out because I think it's a fun one to try. Um, so assuming you're the player who gets the decent chunk of change left, but maybe not enough to, to float your own company. So what you can do is remember it's generally the safest to invest in the player immediately to your left, because you can generally control whether or not you get priority deal in that case. Right. So um, what you do here is that you will attempt to buy as many shares as you can to your left. So basically you try and buy out this company. You want to try and get it 100% player owned so that the stock price will actually increase due to being 100% player owned. Okay. So maybe you and him get in on it together. Uh, maybe he buys five or six shares. You buy four or five. Um, you should definitely be able to buy five by the time the second stock round rolls around, if not in the first one. Right. So then the idea is, is that you will remain in a spot where you don't act, where he doesn't act before you. Mm. So then the idea is maybe in stock, you sell all of the stock at a profit, because of the bump up due to being player owned, you maybe trash his stock price in the process. You start a new company, you sell in this juicy private, and then you can start yet another company in stock round four. Okay. Because remember, $300 is almost enough yeah. to start a company on its own. Yeah. The great thing about a situation like that is that everyone's two trains will be getting rusted by you and you had to bought any of them. So your treasuries are going to be in a much healthier spot. You would have been collecting dividends um, from the company that you did buy into. Um, you would have got the benefit of the stock bump. So by riding that player's coattails, you kind of got, but then you trashed their stock, you rusted their two trains, and you actually got all of their benefits plus the nice juicy income from your ferry. And you didn't really get any of the, the downsides of having emptied out that company. Yes, yeah. So there are definitely things like that that you can do. I like that idea for a strategy. I think it's a good baseline strategy. Obviously, it can be, it has counterplay to it if people catch on to what you're doing. But yeah, if you do get stuck with the fairy, so to speak, give it a try. Mm, yeah, interesting. I don't think I've ever, maybe I've had it once, but early on in our plays. Yeah, I can't remember pulling off a good strategy with the devil. <laughs> you've got to be a little bit creative and yeah you just won't get to go through the normal thing okay let me float it start doing that stuff but yeah 30 revenue is nothing to sniff at and yeah yeah remember if you are going to heavily invest in someone else make it the player to your immediate left cool okay yeah uh the only last thing i would add is is that the green and brown companies are the strongest companies to float 
first. So if you are heading into the first stock round after the auction, those ones you should kind of have your eye on. They should probably go first and they should probably try and work together. Okay. Because they are heavily incentivized to, to do so. Yeah, it kind of benefits you both. Yes, I think that's it. Cool, thanks. Yeah, that's uh, given me some stuff to try next time. Yeah, no, I, I, we love 89. Mm. I think it's great. It's just, it's a perfectly vanilla 18xx, but it's just, it's got such a nice pace of play. Yeah, it's not a very big map, so it goes, like, develops very yeah. quickly. Yeah, nice small bank. It's, mm. it's, it's a good feel. Yeah, it's a fun one. It's got a good mouth feel, 1889. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah man huh. so do we have anything so Africans talk about this I was thinking about how what the kind of most interesting thing Cybex said is that we are living through prohibition <laughs> yes we are eh? sure and I and I feel like it's it's been such an interesting time because I feel like exactly what the reasons prohibition failed <laughs> I'm kind of seeing happening here as well yeah <laughs> We, we are sort of like kind of eased up on it now. But one of the things was early on, they banned alcohol completely. No alcohol in restaurants, no alcohol liquor stores, nothing. Mm. And it was a huge thing. And then they, they brought it back for, how long was it? Like a couple of weeks? Yeah, two or three weeks, I think. And then they banned it again. Sort of ICUs were getting filled up with sort of traumas from bar fights and car accidents and, and whatever else. And so they were losing beds yeah. um, to deal with sort of COVID patients. So they banned alcohol again. Yeah. But I think what's kind of happened was, whereas in the beginning, we were all like, yeah, yeah, lockdown, we're going to do this, flatten the curve. Everyone is kind of much more struggled on the fact that they, sorry, much more focused on the fact now that they're really struggling. Mm. Um, I think restaurants have kind of been hit the hardest, even when alcohol was back. It wasn't allowed to be served in restaurants, which seems kind of insane to me and pretty stupid. I think it's safer to sell it in restaurants than it is to just let people go to the bottle store and go mental. Yes. So what's been kind of funny this time is that now restaurants are pretty brazenly serving alcohol. One of my friends texted me a photo. She went to a restaurant and they served her wine but they just stuck a little sticker over the wine bottle that said 0% alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> it, it obviously wasn't, but yeah. yeah. So another story I've heard is that what they do is they pour beer into your glass and then they put an empty, like, alcohol-free beer bottle on your table. Oh, wow. That's smart. Yeah. So, yeah, those, those guys are trying a little bit hard. <laughs> so I went to a restaurant the other day for the first time in, like, months. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, we were like, okay, let's let's give it a try. Yeah, right. So we met uh, this other couple there, and it, it was fun. Like everyone like wears masks and stuff, but obviously you don't at the table because then what are you gonna do? Like pull your mask down every time you like have a bite of food or whatever. Yeah, but yeah, you do the whole temperature thing when you come in. They had like a weird like disinfectant spraying booth that you like have to walk through, whatever. Oh, well, wow. But anyway, but otherwise, other than that, it was fine. And we were chatting to the owner there. He came to chat to us. Mm. Um, and he said that they'd been selling alcohol. Okay. <laughs> but that the police rolled in. Apparently, like, a huge amount of cops rolled in. Fully, like, locked and loaded. He said, like, 
assault rifles, you know, that whole like That's so crazy, man. It's so stupid, dude. Like what Do you really need a gunfight for selling a beer? I mean, come on. <laughs> but that was just so funny about it, dude. Like it was sitting at a restaurant. Anyway, apparently they rolled in there and over it and like uh yeah, they confiscated all their alcohol. They were going around to people's tables and like sniffing their glasses. Oh my goodness. Wow. Apparently, yeah. So they got like cleaned out and slapped with a huge fine. Wow. But the guy's shame. I felt bad for him. He was like, I've got to like pay my staff. Like, ugh, yeah. you know, we we struggling. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I don't know much about restaurants, but I believe most of their profit comes from alcohol. Oh, yeah. I think it's huge. Yeah. yeah. I think without alcohol, they're pretty pretty poor yes yeah 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 they don't make that much on the food i guess because it's the food takes time and things as well and you're paying your staff mostly for time so the alcohol is just profit yeah man shame so i don't know we'll see what happens i guess but it's pretty dumb like um we live in a complex so in south africa there's tons of these like complexes which i guess are like apartment blocks kind of but Mm not as vertical <laughs> mm. it's sort of like a big area with like fencing and security and stuff all around it or whatever but in my complex whatsapp group so we have like a chat group for the complex everyone's selling alcohol dude oh i've got <laughs> pinotage and cab sav coming in oh, it's this much for a case of six bottles yeah people are sending priceless so like yeah the the alcohol lockdown has certainly failed at this point. Yeah, no, it's crazy. We're being we've got babysitters, man. <laughs> yeah, sweet guys. Okay, well, thanks for thanks for joining us. As someone on Facebook was like, "Oh, did they finally release a new episode?" I was like, "Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> this has gone on too long. <laughs> we could have to fix this." Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we will we will try our best to get back into it, even though. We don't have too much opportunity for playing. Yes. Uh, at least in person anyway. Yeah, but we do still enjoy talking about it, even if we can't play. <laughs> exactly. Sweet, guys. Well, thanks so much for joining us. I hope this was useful in some way. Yes. Uh, or at least enjoyable to listen to. Yeah, I hope so too. Yeah, thanks very much. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Bye. If you would like to get in touch with us, we are at derailed18xx on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us, derailed18xx at gmail.com. And we're on Patreon at patreon.com slash derailed18xx. Thanks for listening.